Hello, I'm Alma Schneider. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the proud mother of four children, one of whom has Prader-Willi syndrome. And I am Iris Miller. I'm a certified rehabilitation counselor and the proud mother of two children, one of whom has quadriplegic cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. In this podcast, we discuss the uncensored truth about raising children with disabilities. Prepare to laugh, cry, and hopefully learn something new. This is Two Moms, No Fluff. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Two Moms, No Fluff, the podcast in which we discuss the uncensored truth about raising kids with disabilities. I'm here with my partner, Alma Schneider. I am Iris Miller. And today we have a very special guest, and I'll let Alma introduce our guest today. Great. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. We are really excited. Uh, we stumbled upon this fellow uh, the way that I seem to be stumbling upon all the great things around us lately, and that is on Facebook. Um, I don't know how I saw his, his blog and his Facebook post, but he also has a podcast, and I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about himself, but please welcome James Gutman. Welcome, James. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad you found me. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yes, wonderful. So what we'd love you to do is just tell us a little bit about yourself, about where you live, who you are. Absolutely. You okay, I'm James. <laughs> uh, I live in New York. My name is James Gutman. Uh, I'm on Long Island, right in the, underneath New York. The, they call it the leash of the dog's head. The New York's the dog's head. I'm on the leash of it, right in the, in the center of it on Long Island. Um, I run highblogomdad.com. It's my blog. It's about my son who is nonverbal with autism, my daughter who's 14. She's verbal. She's neurotypical. I try to talk about mental health. I try to talk about parenting. I try to talk about, you know, topics that resonate with me. Uh, my belief is that if I'm going to talk about my son's autism, I'm going to talk about things in my own life too. I wouldn't just share, uh, things about him. I respect his privacy at the same time. Anything that if he was verbal, he is nonverbal and 12 years old. But anything that if he was verbal and didn't want me to talk about, I try not to talk about. So we keep everything uh, on a good level. But I also like to preach positivity as it relates to autism. Um, autism appreciation, I call it, above acceptance and awareness. The idea that there are parts of his personality that are beautiful because of autism, not despite autism. And I think that's you know, heartwarming for a lot of parents to hear, a lot of people who might be beginning their autism journey who are hearing a lot of negative things, reading a lot of negative things. Um, yeah, my life is significantly better because my son is in it and I just want the world to know about it. So that's been my my goal and what I've been doing for the last six years now. I've been writing for 20 and it was a big switch, but uh, I haven't regretted it ever since. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, your writing, A, because you're a very good writer, and B, because uh, the, the dad's perspective is something that we don't see too much of or about, and uh, it's so nice and refreshing to read your uh, kind of accounts, and also uh, just to, to see kind of a male perspective on this journey in such an open and um, Kind of straightforward way so i i really appreciate uh, james what you write and how you write and also uh, the podcast is also terrific so um really recommending it to others i wanted to ask you if you don't mind introducing your son in a little bit more details telling us a little bit about how his disability is uh, affecting him and your family as a whole well, yeah, my son is, uh, well, I appreciate you saying that first and foremost. Um, I also do the podcast, as you said, it's highpodomdad.com. Uh, it's on all the streaming services, wherever you find podcasts. Um, my son is 12. He is nonverbal. He has what 
I've heard, I don't know what people term it as. I've heard severe autism, different things. Essentially, my son is lacking in many life skills that he's learning as he goes. And it's up to us to teach him. It's up to, up to us to find the services for him. He is more likely than not going to require care for the rest of his life. So uh, chronically taking care of some of the issues that he has is going to require for us to find schooling after schooling. So it's not going to end when he's 18. It's not going to end at 21. Um, and that's something that for me requires kind of a change in the parenting style that I think a lot of us are used to. I have a daughter, she's 14. So I'm used to telling great things about my daughter and almost overselling her. We all do that. Your kid plays Little League, but your kid doesn't just play Little League. Your kid is the best in Little League. Your kid is the best in school. But when it comes to getting your son services, when they have autism or disabilities or special needs, you have to almost undersell your kids. And I've been at these meetings trying to tell people, you know, oh yeah, he doesn't really do that. It, it can cut you a little bit. And I know that for me, Having to do that with him has been tough, but at the same time, I try to remember the good things about him. And that's who he is. My son is the most pure person I've ever met. He, he hugs you because he wants to hug you, not because he wants a favor from you. My son is, uh, he's not nefarious. He's not duplicitous. He doesn't lie. He doesn't try to get around you. I mean, he does try to sneak food here and there and little cutesy things, but he's, he's a good person. And I, I try to tell people a lot more people in the world should be like my son as opposed to my son trying to be like more people in the world. I think it would make for a better world, less wars, less, you know? Um, so that's who he is. He's sweet. And I think that writing a blog like mine is important because, you know, prior to that, when he was little and he was getting diagnosed and we weren't sure if it was autism, we weren't sure what it was. We were afraid to say it out loud. You tend to hide them a little bit because you don't want people to ask those questions because you don't have an answer for them. What am I going to say to you? Yeah. And now that we're more aware of what, what he's dealing with and what he's going to be experiencing, I love being able to share him with everybody. I want everyone to know who he is because um, I try to explain that I think most people are only aware of autism when it's, or his kind of autism, when it's at its worst moments. They'll see us if he's having a meltdown and they'll walk by in a supermarket and they see it and they go, oh, that must be so tough. And that's the only exposure they have to autism. So I want to expose them to the good parts that maybe they walk right by in the supermarket and they don't notice. There's a lot of good to him. And that's, um, that's why I'm appreciative of, you know, shows like this and, and opportunities like this to get to share him with the world. I love that. It's so true. And just about the underselling, it's very painful to have to be, it's painful yet somewhat refreshing to be able to just let it all hang loose. All the, all the things that have been a challenge and just be completely truthful and open about it. But to, you have to do that to get those services. And uh, it's, it, it, you're absolutely right. It's very different from typical parenting where you're bragging about all the great things about your kid. So I love that, uh, that you put that into words because it's, it's really true. Um, when he I'm was, wondering... I'm sorry. sorry, I was going to say when he was five, the first time that I noticed that he was five, he was getting his first services and they asked me if he spoke and we were with his care coordinator and the woman setting up his, his uh, services. And they mm -hmm. said, does he say any words? And the care coordinator said, no, he doesn't. And I said, yes, he does. And they went, I go, he says, hi. And they all stopped. And she's like, I didn't, I've never heard him say anything. And I'm like, well, no, he, he, he was like, he's like, huh. like, he was like, I started doing that. And she put her hand on my shoulder and she goes, I know what you're doing. That's There's a place yeah. for that. This isn't the place for that. You have to get the best services for him. And that's, it's important for your kid, but sometimes it can be a little, little painful. So I appreciate that you recognize that as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, we're wondering what, because you said your son is 12, but you started um, writing about him about six years ago. What was the impetus to start the blog and the podcast? Because you waited oh, a little that. while, it sounds like. I did. 
Mm -hmm. I did. It was, I was, I had been writing since 2002 and I began writing and this is the weird transition. I started writing about professional wrestling in 2002. I, I've written for WWE magazine and I've written for impact wrestling and I've, I've written two books about pro wrestling. I was, I was heavily into the wrestling industry and I had, uh, my story is kind of unique because in 2012, I had um, a heart attack at 35. And they found out that I needed a quintuple bypass, which was shocking to everyone. I was roughly the same size I am now. Um, I had never had any health problems. And going into the hospital, I came out and my son had just begun to really show signs of delay. He was just about one and a half. And I remember being obsessively worried about him and what he couldn't do. And in the hospital, I remember thinking, I don't care what he can't do. I want to see my son. I want to be around my son. I miss him. And I changed my thinking about him and began to see him differently and try to understand why he does the things he does as opposed to worrying about the things that he does. So a few years in, about 2016, I had written about him. I never wrote about my personal life on my wrestling mm -hmm. site. It was a wrestling pop culture kind of fun site. Mm -hmm. And I wrote about him for the first time and prepared for what I thought was going to be a negative backlash because that's what we all do. We share our personal things and then we worry that the world is going to make fun of us or you know pile on us. And the response was so positive that I said, wow, I should do this. I should write about him and tell people about him. And since 2017, since February 2017, writing about Lucas, I have been able to write about his growth and chart in many ways how my thinking has changed, how he's grown. And I've gotten a chance to do what I, I, I tell people is important. Don't focus on what he's not doing, but look at what he wasn't doing six months ago and see what he's doing now. And every six months I've noticed that he's making leaps and bounds and changes. We go up and down, there's phases. Sometimes he'll regress a little bit. Sometimes he'll jump up in spurts, but it was, it was really more about myself. It was about me being comfortable to share him with the world and yeah. not wanting to, and wanting to find a way that I didn't exploit him. Because I think one of, the, one of the challenges that I did face when I first began dealing with his diagnosis was I went online and I looked for blogs that would speak to me. Mm -hmm. And I found a lot of ones that, that, I don't say negative, but I found ones that talk about how hard it was and about like, you know, crying and not wanting to send my kid. But at the end, they never, there was never, sometimes, not never, but there was rarely for me when I found something that gave me a positive message at the end. It was just, this is hard. This is our story. The end. Yeah. And I remember thinking, this is my future. So yeah. every blog that I write, I want to have it end with some sort of explanation as to either why there's a silver lining or the good that can come out of it or why it's important to use these situations to better him and better myself. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's why I waited as long as I did until I was ready for it. And I feel like waiting has allowed me the chance to write about him in a better light. I think if I wrote about him earlier, I don't know if it would have been the same type of blog that it ended up becoming. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I. Uh... I was about to ask you something else, but I want to jump to a different question and just ask you, James, about uh, how do you see the role of a father, uh, especially kind of in our world, in fathering or being a parent to a child with a disability? Um, it's it's very interesting because you obviously dive into this topic time and time again in your blog, but uh, in general, for other fathers listening in, it's just uh, interesting to hear your perspective. No, I, I thank you for asking that because I that's been a really important subject for me. In fact, the the article that got that I'm most proud of it was picked up by Yahoo a couple of years ago, dealt exclusively with this and how I would hear from people these compliments as a father for dealing with Lucas that I think somebody else would just accept and be proud. Oh, thank you, I appreciate it. 
And people would say things to me and sometimes I would question it. I had somebody say to me, you know, it's really nice that you're so involved. A lot of fathers can't accept their children with autism. And I asked her, so what do you mean accept? And it almost throws people off because they're so used to throwing those compliments out that nobody ever asked, what exactly do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, you know, they can't, they, they can't deal with it. I go, you mean they leave their family? They don't deal with their kids? And she's like, yeah. And I said, well, no, I'm not going to leave my family and I'm not going to not deal with my son. I'm like, I love my son. And in many ways, I feel like I would rather forego those compliments and have all the other fathers held to a higher standard than to have myself applauded for these things that I'm doing that to me is, I can't not do them. I love my son. I don't want to not help, especially now. I, I made this person. I brought him into the world. He's a part of me. He's one of the most important people in my world. How could I let him kind of float along with all these challenges and not be there to guide him through it or leave them to you know his mom to do by herself or leave it to somebody else? It's my, it's my responsibility. I made this child. And that's why I feel like a lot of fathers out there, and it's not even exclusive just to children with autism. I think with any child you make, my daughter's 14. She's a girl. I'm a girl dad, as they say. I, I learned what I can to help her life as well, because it's my responsibility. I made these kids. I brought them there. Um, so I, I want to be, I don't want to be the um, exception. I want to be the rule. I want more people to to treat their children the way I do as fathers. Yeah. And I, I, you know, what that woman said to you, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that in my experience, I've seen so many dads leave the family, but more that the, the mother or the other partner is taking on so much more of the emotional work and the, and the practical work. And um, it's, you know, I, I've been running a group for many, many years of parents of kids with disabilities, and it comes up quite a bit that the dads want to be there but there is a lot of shame there is a lot of um embarrassment and just feelings of grief that seem to last longer than than the moms a lot of the time because they're the ones you know they sort of get through all of that earlier (laughs) in a lot of cases because they're so involved and when the men aren't as involved it seems you know it, it I've just heard countless stories of, of that they're just not doing things with their kids. It's just the, the loss piece, the, the loss of what could have been just really persists. Um, so I think, you know, it's just interesting to hear you say that that should be the standard. And it's sort of like a, a feeling of survivor guilt to hear a compliment, you know, because, yeah, I'm not doing anything that special. I'm just, it's sort of when people say, um, you know, I can't believe what you're doing. I could never do that. It's sort of a compliment, but it's like othering. It's making us feel different. It's like you would do exactly what I'm doing if you were in my boat. I'm no different than you. We're all human beings. So it's not, it's sort of like a weird kind of compliment. Um, I like how you put that too, because you can, you can actually, you can leave your family while still staying there. And I think emotionally you can go somewhere else. You could check out and I think that that's one of those things. And it's almost unfair to your partner to put everything on them and to make them kind of do everything. And I, I, I like the, how, the way you put it like that, because it is, I've, I've seen people where both parents are there, but you only, I've, there's families where I've only met one of them and I yeah. only know the mother and I only know, you know, so I think that that's, it's important to just hold your weight, to hold up, you know, what you have to do for your kids. But I know I agree with what you said. I think you can, you don't have to necessarily leave to leave. Like you can, you can be gone without leaving. Exactly. So you sort of answered the other question that we had about how society views, you know, the roles of dad. But I'm wondering how 
how you have been affected personally. You've touched on this a little bit, but how have you been affected personally by your son's um, diagnosis or um, lifestyle? <laughs> it was, I mean, it was tough when I first began prior to the surgery. I always talk about it, how I couldn't think of anything else. That's whenever I tell a story for like, you know, kind of punctuate things sometimes to get like that emotional punch when you're telling a story. And mm -hmm. I always say every day, all I could think about was my son's, you know, struggles until December 13th, 2012, when I didn't because I had a heart attack. And then yeah. people always go, oh, and they kind of gasp at it. And it really did. It stuck in my head. And it was, it was such a complicated emotion because it was, I, I felt bad for him and I felt responsible and I felt guilty. And then I felt guilty about the fact that I felt guilty because I felt like I was looking at him differently. And there's so many things you get wrapped up in. Mm -hmm. um, as he's gotten older, I've, I've had moments where I feel bad for him. I think about what I, we talked about before we started that I had written recently about giving him all the food that he asked for. Mm -hmm. And in that blog, I talk about how there was that feeling of this poor boy, he's gonna have such a hard life. I have to give him whatever he wants. So you mm -hmm. deal with that as well. I think there's there's a sense of responsibility. You mentioned shame before. It's it's not shame in the sense of like, I did something wrong or I'm ashamed of my son, but almost with the shame of like, did I do something that made this happen? We, we go deep and we try to figure out our roles and everything. We can have anything in our lives, forget autism or your children, anything that happens in your life that you're not even an active participant in, you find a way sometimes to blame yourself for. And I think that that affects people that could influence a lot of fathers coming in and out. Uh, me personally, I, I don't know. I, I try to place my kids above myself. I see my kids as my legacy. They're my masterpieces. They're what I'm going to send into the world. When I'm gone, they're going to be the ones that people go, you know, hopefully this is James Gubbins' children and look what they've done. Um, so I want him to be the best he can be. He might not be a doctor or the president of the United States, but I want him to be a good person. And I want people to say, he's a good boy. So when people come to me and they say, he's so sweet. He's so nice. He's so loving. To me, that's the same kind of compliment that somebody else of a 12-year-old might hear of like, you know, your child is so good at math, your child's so good at whatever. I find the things that I want him to be and I try to help him become those things. So that's kind of how that's affected me. Great. But you've seen the good doctor, haven't you? He could be a doctor. <laughs> but isn't that the, that's the that's always the, that's always the positive ending to every autism story is they always do something amazing in our world. That's what makes them amazing. If they do something in their own world. Yeah, but in the end, hey, look, he can play guitar. Look at that. All right, now he's fine. And I know I'd much I rather hear fun. that my kids are kind than really good at math. I'd much rather hear that for all of my kids, you know, typical and not, so. Right, counting toothpicks and all that. Yeah, like I'd rather he, uh, he doesn't have to, I always say he doesn't have to do anything in, in your world to be a great person. In some cases, I'd rather people try to get into his world and, uh, and see like what kind of person he is. But yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, I think in, in typical kind of uh, society and the way that we upbring our children, the general kind of goal-oriented uh, education system and uh, sports and athletics and all that, we stop uh, maybe to count how many kids or how many kids are being hurt by our kids as they try to achieve their own goals. And if there's something to be said about our children with disabilities is that the majority of the time, these people do not hurt anyone in their way to achieve whatever is the best version of themselves. And I think uh, at least uh, at least we have that to be proud of because they are like, uh, I would say, um, I don't know, encompassing the good in this world. And 
people tend to underappreciate it. I think uh, we were talking earlier about the Dalai Lama and there is a quote from the Dalai Lama about that the world does not need more uh, achievers. It needs more kind-hearted people. So uh, our kids are definitely uh, those that have disabilities and those that are siblings to our kids with disabilities are really the ones with the kind hearts. And I'm proud of that very much. I wanted to ask you, James, about your books. I know you just mentioned two about wrestling, and I know that you have um, one that is more in our neighborhood, so I'll let you talk about that some more. My third book is actually, it's its in your neighborhood. It's not specifically about autism. My third book was actually called The Expectant Father's Activity Book. It was a book for um, the fathers of you know, children on the way. It's kind of a, a book that you give to somebody who's expecting a baby. We have activities in it. There was uh, crossword puzzles and different things, but at the same time, it teaches them about uh, specifics of parenting, specifics of pregnancy, understanding what their partner is going through uh, as they prepare, you know, to have the baby. And then at the end, kind of a little bit about parenting, what to do when the baby comes out. Um, kind of a fun book, something to read. I think a lot of times um, when it comes to fathers, the books that they get are pretty much about how to save money. And that's it. It's all like, we have our role. The woman has their role. This is a book that helps men understand what their you know, partners are going through or the person who's bringing the child into the world, which is important because for nine months, that's their whole world. And if you're just, you know, can I get you something? Like, like what does that do? It doesn't really help anybody, but this allows them to know, okay, my, my wife, my girlfriend, whoever is at three months uh, in the pregnancy, this is what she's going through. This is what she's experiencing. And I try to teach them that in a way that's that's humorous and not too clinical because I think sometimes, uh, I don't say men, but in general, I think people just get turned off when things are too clinical, especially in a time of high stress. So this is fun. It's silly. I try to put comedy things into it. Uh, I did really well. I was really proud of it. It's called the uh, the Expectant Father's Activity Book. Uh, it came out in 2020. So it was a big deal for us. That's great. Wow. Thank you. Uh, it's like the boy the, the the boyfriend's guide to to pregnancy and like the girlfriend's guide to pregnancy. You could do your own series like she does. Wow, that's pretty great. Yeah, because you're absolutely right. I can't think of a single book that I've ever come across that talks about, you know, being in it, you know, in that way. So much for women. Um, wow. Okay. Good to know. Um, if you could change one thing in society regarding disability, what would it be? Huh. If I could change one thing in society about disabilities, I think... Um... I think some of the, the preconceived notions that once you know what a disability is, you know what it is. Because my son is not like the autism that most people know. And I, I deal with this during Autism Appreciation Month where you know, there's high functioning autism. And I'll some, in the beginning when I first started writing my blog, which was you know, six years ago, which doesn't seem that long ago, but it was a long time ago in terms of awareness, in terms of where we come from. I received mm -hmm. a lot of negative responses, surprisingly, from some people in the autism community, uh, people who had high functioning autism that would read things I wrote about my son and say to me, like, how could you make these assumptions about your son? And I would have to explain to them, my son is nonverbal. My son is like, severe. They thought that I was talking about, you know, someone with, you know, high functioning autism or somebody who was verbal. Sometimes I wouldn't always mention in the blog that he was nonverbal. And they would say, you're making assumptions about what he's thinking and you should ask him what he's thinking. I can't ask him what he's thinking. And I think that, I, you know, I've tried to write blogs about it. I wrote one called Autism to Me, Autism to You to, to show that they're not the same. Like my son is never going to come out to his friends as autism. And I've, I've seen people write about that. I came out to my friends two years ago. I'm like, my son doesn't have to come out. People know when they meet him. 
I worked with a woman who had been diagnosed with uh, autism the year before, and she was like 57, 58, talked about it all the time. And she was, I, I don't know, I wouldn't, I don't know what her specific, you know, autism was and how it affected her, but she spoke as if that was autism and she would talk openly about it. And one day she turned to me and she goes, I have so many questions. She's like, James, I'm sure your son asked you tons of questions and just asked you everything. And I said, my son doesn't ask me anything. I'm like my son's nonverbal and it shut everything down because even people who have it sometimes don't think that there's a different way of having autism. And I think a lot of times people hear he has autism, they make their assumptions. I've had people say things that I found offensive, you know, not even particularly to my son. I had a woman once, and this is a story I tell people and they gasp, you might gasp too. She was an educator. She was a principal at a school and she came to me and she goes, I heard that your son has autism. And I said, yeah, I'm like, he's, he's sweet. I'm like, he was, I think he was like eight at the time. Like eight, he's, you know, he's nonverbal. And she went, nonverbal. She goes, that's the real one. I went, sorry, <laughs> hey, that's the face. And I said, I said, well, I'm sorry. She goes, so many people say autism, 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 but nonverbal, that's the real autism. I'm like, I think they're all kind of the real autism. But that didn't, that, that shouldn't have even offended me. Like technically she was technically on my side. And I was like, I thought about all the people that is how offensive this is to people. And I think that's what bothers me. I wish that people would, would realize that there's a spectrum. It's called a spectrum for a reason. Right. Everybody's different on it. And you know, somebody that you might think is high functioning and you go, oh, you know what? He asked a lot of questions. There's sometimes there's so many avenues to it that they don't talk about that you don't know about. We all deal with it in our own way. And I think everybody deserves respect if you're dealing with this without having some judgmental thing or trying to pigeonhole you into a box that not everybody belongs in. I think that would be what I would change. That's that's great. And I think that, you know, we Iris and I deal with that a lot on this podcast. We talk with a lot about um, aut you know, the spectrum of autism and how people don't, you know, now I think that the language is not even the functioning language it's it's high support need and low support need but even those don't describe accurately what people are capable of because your son for example could he might be very high functioning in one way area and very you know quote unquote low functioning in another but you know even referring to functioning once someone calls someone high functioning that's implying that someone like your son is low functioning and I don't think you'd want to walk around calling your son, oh, my son's low functioning because that's he I'm sure he's very capable in other ways. And it's it's very it's such a complicated issue because the spectrum is so wide, so wide. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's human nature to want to pigeonhole because it makes life easier when you can just say, oh, that's autism. But we all have to realize that this, you know, it's hurtful to people and it can be offensive and we just all need to literally take a pause before we speak and just either keep our mouth shut or you know really think about what's going to come out of our mouth because you know there's a lot of uh triggers not to use a highly overused word but you know people in the disability community family members have you know sensitivities and because there's there are repeated traumas that we all deal with every day um all day so I like your, I like your change, your one change. I think that's a good one. There's an irony to it too, I think, because, you know, my son's nonverbal and I always talk about how I'm learning that language isn't that important. And I think it's so funny because I think one of the main problems with autism is the language we use, like that, whether we call it high functioning, low functioning, whether we call it autism, we're so, as, as a people, we're so used to trying to figure out how do we term this? How do we explain it? And we never find, no matter what it is. And he, 
has no words and it's supposed to be the biggest problem in the world. And the older he gets, the more I'm realizing that we're figuring out how to communicate and maybe too many words is the issue that the rest of us have, you know? Exactly. That's really, that's profound. That is profound. That's true. That's very true. We have too many words. We do. We do. We should, the world should be more like him. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> James, I have another question for you. I am wondering, and that kind of uh, connects to your book about uh, preparing fathers to the birth of their child. Uh, I wanted to ask you if you have an advice specifically for parents that are just beginning this journey, that just got, received a new diagnosis, whether it's a, an autism diagnosis or any other disability, from your years of experience in this uh, kind of space, what would you uh, advise them? No, I'm glad that you asked that because that was, that was the reason I began the blog and that's something that I, I still try to focus on when I write these. I was so frightened when my son, you know, right around the diagnosis, prior to it, during it, after it. Um, and the thing that frightened me was the unknown. I couldn't imagine what it would look like. I used to ask professionals, I say, how does he have autism? He hugs me, he laughs, he makes eye contact. He does all these things that weren't supposed to be autism. So I couldn't fathom it. And that was the fear of like, okay, they're saying it's this thing, but it's not matching up to anything I thought this thing would be what is he going to be like in three years, four years, five years? And as the years went on and he grew, because a lot of the children that I know get diagnosed so young that nobody, they're not people. I don't want to say they're not people yet, but they're babies. And when they're babies, they don't have personalities yet. You don't know who your kid is. They're just a cute little, oh, look what you're doing. So by then, by the time it started to come into focus, I saw, oh, this is his personality. This is who he is. And that unknown went away. So a lot of parents who face this in the beginning they get overwhelmed, they cry, and they, they think about it. And you have to, I guess, grieve what you thought your life was, because it's going to be a little different than you expected, but it's never as bad as you envision. You envision worst case scenarios, because no professional is going to tell you anything that you're going to come back later and be like, you said he was going to talk by four. They won't tell you he's going to talk at four, because he might not, and they don't want you to get angry. I used to tell doctors, I go, just give me an, I promise you I won't sue you. Just tell me when he might talk. And they would be like, we don't know. I can't tell you. Like, yeah. <laughs> so that's it. It's the, the unknown is like 90% of it. And then once it starts to come into, you know, into view, you're already dealing with it. And it's not the future anymore. It's the present. It's just moments of the present going forward. So I think that's what I would, I would suggest to people, like get your grief out, feel bad about the things that you think are going to happen, but also take notice of what is happening in real time, because it gets easier as you go until eventually you'd be amazed at the things in your life that can just become ordinary, like as you're doing them, like things that I'm dealing with my son. But I think if I'd gone back 10 years and be like, you know, when your son is 12, you're going to be doing X, Y, Z to assist him in his day-to-day -day activities. I'd be like, oh my gosh, but it just is what it is. And there's things that he does and things that he doesn't do. Um, but I, I have a better idea. And there's still unknowns. I still have unknowns about where he's going to be when he's an adult. And those things still get to me too. But I know that it's never as bad as you envision. Your brain always gives you the worst case scenario and then plays it like a movie over and over again until you throw up. So you try not to do that. So that's yeah. my that's my goal is uh, to make sure people understand, you know, life is what it is and never, never fear the unknown uh, because it's never as bad as you think it's gonna be. So true, so true. You words of wisdom, James Gutman. I think we need to like hang out. You're a cool dude. <laughs> Thank you. What's that going on? You saying all the right things. We're all yeah, like, in agreement here. It's you so guys got to tell people that. You got to be my PR. Let people know. They don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 
so true. It's, you know, everything you said just resonates so much. I mean, that fear of the unknown is what kills you. It really does. It's uh, if you can get, just get to know your kid, that is the most important thing and bond with your kid and then you're fine. But that if your head is in that unknown, you are just going to be floundering in pain. <laughs> so yeah. This has truly been a pleasure. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to add before we close up? This has been a great, great conversation, at least from my end. I mean, I've, yeah, I've enjoyed definitely. it. <laughs> I loved it. Thank you guys. No, I appreciate it. I would, no, I want to thank you guys for having me on. This has been, this is my passion. This is what I, I live for. I love doing this. I want to do it as much as possible. I've been reaching out. I've been trying to I just want to get my message out to as many people as possible. I find that not a lot of people talk about autism appreciation, the idea mm -hmm. that, you know, there's, there's parts of his personality that exist because um, he has autism and that makes me um, so proud of him as, as a person, as a, as a human being. We all talk, you ask most parents of kids, you know, who, who don't have autism, what do you want your kid to be like? And they'll start laying out personality traits that my son already has. I want my kid to be kind and loving. I don't want him to bully anybody. I'm like, my kid does all that already. Like, <laughs> so I want people to know that. Um, I appreciate you know support on the blog, highblogondad.com. It's been going on for years, twice a week. I, I've never yeah. missed a uh, Monday and a Wednesday just because it's it's what I live for. It's I love being able to get the message. I love being able to share my kids with the world and mean the world to me. So thank you guys for, for the opportunity. And, and I hope everybody gets to check it out. And, uh, you know, if I could do anything to help anyone, I've done my part here on earth. I feel good. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. And everyone, thank you for tuning in. Um, Iris, anything you want to add before we close it out? Yes, I think if anyone has questions for James or for us uh, following up on this conversation and especially about the role of the father in this journey, we would be very happy to uh, answer and connect. And uh, James, thank you again so very much for your time and uh, what you do. This is really important. Very important. Very important. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next time. For more information, please go to www.twomomsnofluff.com. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and give it a five-star rating so more people can hear it. Thank you.